Well, good morning, Fellowship family. So glad that you all are here as we dive into God's Word this morning. And my name is Jeremy Wynn, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And it's my honor and privilege to be able to be a part of the outreach team here at the church. And I say it's my honor and privilege because I am passionate and love seeing the gospel proclaimed in our church, in our city, and around the world. And as I'm able to work and serve with all of you, man, I see God at work. I walk in this morning and I saw the atrium filled with hundreds of gifts where you as the church showed up. Some of you took one, five, ten tags to be able to purchase gifts and provide Christmas gifts for families in Highcrest. I just want to say thank you. And some of you took tags to help serve at the store this Friday and Saturday. And I'm so excited to be able to see those families come through and shop not only be able to get those tangible gifts that, that they get as they receive when, and then when they go through shopping, but also get the most important gift. They're going to be able, everyone that goes through is going to be able to hear the gospel from people from within our church that have been trained and equipped to be able to show up and be a blessing on that day. And this morning as we continue our series, which is Christmas on Purpose, we're going to be able to continue to look at this theme of the gospel being proclaimed. And I'm going to jump in with our first verse. This is our key verse for the series that we want everyone to know and to memorize. And it says this, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Joe last week did a great job talking about Christ Jesus and, and his deity and how we know that he was fully God. And today we're going to look at what does it mean that that same Christ Jesus, who is fully God, came into and took on humanity. The theological word for that is incarnation. And so we're going to be talking about the incarnation of Jesus. And simply put, the incarnation is, is when the world needed a savior, and we all believe that the world needed a savior, right? When the world needed a savior, when you needed a savior, when I needed a savior, God sent himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ took on human flesh so that you and I can have a relationship with him. And so this morning, we're going to talk through what are our core beliefs about the incarnation? What are those things that scripture are clear about that we can believe about the incarnation? Then we're going to talk about how can we receive truths about the incarnation? How can we receive that into our hearts and allow that to transform us, to sanctify us, and then have that compel us to go out and live our incarnation? So I want to start out with a foundational truth with the incarnation. That is God took on flesh so we would know that God is with us. And you might be thinking, hey, that's good. I like that. Yeah, let me fill in the blanks. But I, I want to make sure that we know how radical and amazing and good news that that is. And I want to do that by comparing it to another religion that people follow. That's Hinduism. So you have a billion people in our world that claim Hinduism as their religion. And primarily that is in India. And India, by the way, that is our number one focus area of our global outreach because we want to see people find and follow Jesus in India and among the Hindu people. And so along with this and Jesus taking on flesh and comparing that to Hinduism, I was meeting with a guy named Bupesh who's a brother in Christ from our church, and he was explaining it to me. And he said, Jeremy, it's not like what Jesus did. 
It's the opposite. Actually, it's even worse than the opposite. Because in Hinduism, it's man's down here, God's up there, and we got to do as much as we can to work our way up to God, even though that's impossible. But it's worse than even that. It's not that we have to work as hard as we can to help meet and appease the needs of a God. It could be tens of gods. It could be hundreds of gods. It could be thousands of gods that we try to appease. But it's even worse than that. If we don't do anything then the gods are going to punish us and we're actually going to be even cursed. And so they spend their lives just consumed by, okay, what are the things I need to do? What are the things? I, and out of fear, out of fear of, not, of, of working their way to get to God. Contrast that with the Jesus that we follow. He didn't, he didn't say, hey, you better work your way up to here. I know it's going to be impossible, but work your hardest and we'll see kind of how it works out at the end. No, he says, I want to have a relationship with you so much, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to give my most prized possession, my one and only son, to come to earth, to take on flesh, to to bear your sin, to bear my sin, to bear our pain, to bear everything that we endure on this earth, so that we can have a relationship with him. That is the God that we get to serve, that we get to have a relationship. And we see this manifested in the fact that God took on flesh so that we would know that God is with us. I want to jump into our, our second passage for the day, and that's in Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 23. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up to this passage. But let me lay the framework for what's going on here, because this is big and has big implications for us. So you have Joseph, who is betrothed to Mary, who's the mother of Jesus. And Joseph has found out that Mary that she's pregnant, and, and it's not from him. They're not married yet. And in this culture, if, if you're having a kid out of wedlock, like, for the lady especially, like, she could be beaten, she could be exiled, all kinds of things. So Joseph, he was a just man. So he said, I'm going to divorce her quietly. But God had other plans. And so he sent the angel Gabriel to help answer some of the questions that Joseph had that we would have had if we were in this situation as well. So we get to jump in and hear this conversation between the angel Gabriel and Joseph. And it says this, That which is conceived in her, being Mary, is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. Behold, the virgin shall conceive a son and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Can you imagine the, the thoughts, the questions, the, the feelings that Joseph would have hearing these words? First of all, he's probably like, wait, what? How, what, what do you mean I'm not the father, but there's no earthly father that, that God's the father. He's conceived by the Holy Spirit. I can't imagine that. But then think about the feelings and the weight that he would have felt when he knew that, wait, wait, this Messiah that had been prophesied by Isaiah from this verse or other places from other prophets, that Messiah, you chose me to help be his earthly father, to help him through the struggles and the pains and the growing of what it means to be human. You chose me. I'm sure he had just so many thoughts and questions and feelings running around but from our perspective, we get to take some incredible truths from this passage. And the first one is this. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And the reason that this is so amazing is it 
points to the fact that Jesus was fully God. We see this supernatural event of Jesus being conceived by the Holy Spirit, but this is the only time in Scripture that it talks about this type of an event happening. It happened in the life of Jesus, but we don't see it happening in other places. It's a supernatural. It's above the natural. But at the same time, it's an invitation for faith for us. Because I don't know about you, but I don't want to serve or worship a God that I can understand everything about that God. If there's a God that, that's in a box, I'm like, yeah, that all makes sense. I can get that in my human finiteness. That's not a God worth serving. That's not a God worth worshiping. And so in this passage, are there things that maybe we can't under, fully comprehend? Yeah, sure, it's a supernatural event. But we can hold to the truth that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and he was fully God. The second thing that we can see and believe about the incarnation is that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. We see this just like other people that he was fully human in the act that he was simply born. Matthew talks about it. Luke talks about it. And just even the the language that they use talking about the birth, it's the same as any other human birth. There's nothing that's like... Oh, that sounds kind of odd. No, it sounds like other normal human births. Even Jesus has a human genealogy. Matthew chapter 1, before this section that we look at, it talks about how he's of the lineage of David, and it went through all of that. Just like you and I have family trees, Jesus had a family tree. But we also see in Luke 2, verse 52, that Jesus grew. Jesus grew in wisdom. He grew in stature. He grew in favor with God And man, if you're a parent in this room, I guarantee you've prayed that prayer for your children. I want to see my children grow. I want to see them grow in wisdom. I want to see them grow in stature. I want to see them grow in favor with God and man. Just like your children are fully human, Jesus was fully human. We also see, though, that Jesus, he was hungry. He experienced hunger. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness, and Satan tempts him and says, after Jesus has been fasting for 40 days, you see all this rock around here? Turn this into bread so that you can be satisfied. And Jesus says, no. Because although he was hungry and experienced things like we do, he did not sin. We see that he was thirsty in John nineteen twenty eight, and he's given a little wine to quench his thirst. We see that Jesus was fatigued when he went to the woman at the well in John 4, 6. And finally, in John nineteen thirty four, we see that Jesus suffered and died. That account is when the spear was taken and put in his side, and instead of normal blood coming out, the blood had actually separated. It turned from water and the other components in your blood into plasma and proteins, all that stuff, and it indicated that Jesus, he'd been dead for a while. Jesus suffered and died. Jesus did not come as a costume or pretending to be human, but he came fully God and fully man. The other belief that we can take from this, and this is huge, is that Jesus will save his people from their sins. And this is 100% true. Jesus will save his people from their sins. Jesus did save his people from their sins. But what I love is if we dig just a little bit deeper and we search out God's heart for why he did this, man, we just see a God full of love. So the question that, that I have is, why did Jesus save his people from their sins. And I think John 10 verses 10 through 11 gives us an explanation of this. It says, the thief, 
being Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I, Jesus, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Because you see, Jesus did save his people from their sins. But that saving, that saving is a tool. It's a tool so that we can have a relationship with him. The world needed a savior that showed up, and Jesus showed up. When you look at, in scripture, the most concise and clear passage that talks about the incarnation, that's found in John 1, verse 14. And so I want us to look at this to to formulate our final thought on the belief in the theology of the incarnation. And as we look at that verse, it says this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. You see at the beginning there, and the word, that word there in the Greek means logos. And it actually comes from John 1, 1, which says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. When it says, and the word, that is Jesus. Jesus was there before creation. He was there at creation. He's there with us today. He was with God. He was God. So, and Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt in the Greek is the word skineo, which is where we get the word skin, right? And I love how the message translates this. It says, and Jesus became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Think about that. Think about the implications of if Jesus moved into your neighborhood. Think about the hope. Think about the joy. Think about the light that would come from him moving into your neighborhood. And remember that no other, no other religion does God move into our neighborhood. It's all about, hey, uh, we're up here. We're God. We have this big fortress. You better work your way. Do what you can. Pay your tribute to try to get in, even though it's probably not going to work. God doesn't do that with us. Jesus moved into the neighborhood. He moved into our brokenness. He came to be with us so that we could have a relationship with him. He came so that we could have life and know that God is with us. And with this, God knew that if Jesus came and lived this perfect life, that we couldn't just simply emulate that. Jesus didn't come just so he can say, all right, you've seen the example, be like me. We are broken. We are sinful. We can't just be like Jesus. But what he does, he invites us to allow him to move into our hearts, to allow his Holy Spirit to move into us. So then with his power, we're able to be sanctified each and every day and be more like Jesus. But it starts with us allowing him to not only move into our neighborhood, but move into our hearts. So as we move forward, I I want us to, to remember these beliefs of the incarnation, but now I want us to think about how can we receive these? How can we receive the incarnation and allow it to transform our hearts? And the first thing I want us to receive is that Jesus is with us. Isn't it amazing that we are not alone because God is with us? He could have stayed distant, but he chose to come near. And Jesus coming into the world was a complete 
act of humility. And I don't know about you, but today, you know, with humility, I like people thinking that I'm humble, but actually the act of being of humility, that's difficult, right? Like that takes work, that takes being sanctified, that takes saying, all right, Jesus, help this not be about me, help this be about you. Like that's a daily thing that I have to ask for. But when you look at the first century AD, the idea of humility, it was foreign. And it, or at a minimum, it was, it was negative. Because this idea of humility comes from the idea of humiliation or being lowly. And so for the God of the universe to take on flesh and to become humble and to become lowly, that, 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 doesn't, that didn't even make sense. There wasn't even a framework for that. But we see in Mark 10, 45, how Jesus switched this paradigm. And it says this, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Aren't we glad that that's what Jesus' method was, that he came to serve? He gave us a model for that. And with that, we're able to know that he is with us. Um, a couple weeks ago, I was able to grab lunch with a guy named Tim Collins. Uh, he works with Trash Mountain Project. And I had come to find out that he was preaching this same weekend. Actually, he's preaching right now over at Topeka Bible Church, church we love to work with, partner with, and work together as the body of Christ. And they're talking about the incarnation today as well. I was like, oh, that's great. So I said, hey, Tim, let's talk about this. You know, how do you explain that God, that Jesus is fully God, fully man? What does it mean that you know, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So we were wrestling through things, but through our conversation, I said, hey, how are you doing personally? How's your family? He said, well, Jeremy, I'll be honest, we're, we're good, but my mom just passed away. I was like, Tim, man, I'm, I'm so sorry to hear that. How, how are you doing? Like, how are you doing with that? And he said, you know, we're doing okay. We're doing okay. We, we've been preaching ourselves about the incarnation, knowing that, that God is with us. I said, Tim, you know, I can relate with you in some ways with what happened with your mom, but in some ways I can't. So the way I can relate is when I was in eighth grade, my mom was diagnosed with stage four ovarian cancer. She was given six months to live, did not look good. And in that, when my parents went away to Johns Hopkins and all these different things, God did a miracle and she's here today. God healed her. And so I said, I, I can understand the, the brokenness and the physical um, pain and hurt of a loved one going through that, but but my mom's here and your, yours isn't. So, man, I I hope that I have the same faith as you when things happen where maybe a loved one's taken away that you still know that God is with you. And Tim said, you know, Jeremy, the it wasn't dependent upon whether my mom was healed or not, whether or not I would know that God was with us. He said because God used his plan A his chosen method to know that God is with us in this time. He said, you know what that method is? The church. The church showed up. They encouraged us. They, they called us. They, they cried with us. And they laughed with us as we wrote, retold stories about my mom. They brought meals to us. They were there. And when the church showed up, I knew that God was with us. And I said, Tim, you're absolutely right. And I remember when I was going through this with my mom, the church showed up. <clears throat> so many people showed up. I remember the, the Swansons. I remember the Hesses. I remember the Tigs. I remember the Hishmas. I mean, the list goes on and on of people from the church that showed up, and I knew that Jesus was with us in that. 
I pray that us as a church, we show up and we help show people that God is with them through our love and through our actions. The second thing I want us to receive is that Jesus is for us. He is 150% for us. And he is for us in the fact that he took our, he took our place in his life and death. Because you see, the human problem, as talked about in Romans 6.23, is for the wages of sin is death. What we deserve for our sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What we deserve is death, but Jesus, because he was fully human and he endured and suffered everything that we did, yet did not sin, he was that holy and perfect sacrifice on the cross. He bore all our sins on that. He took our place in his life and his death so that we could have a relationship with him. Ephesians 2.1 says, but you were once dead in your trespasses and sins. And then later on it says, but God in his love and mercy showed up so that we could have life in him. We see that we were dead without Christ and we're alive with Christ. Our God that we serve, that we love, came to earth, took on all our pain, all our sins, so that we could have a relationship with him. He wants and he desires for us to choose him. And the final thing I want us to receive is that Jesus understands us. Jesus always understands everything you experience and endure. Because you see, Jesus doesn't just know you. He doesn't just know about you, although he does know everything about you. But it's deeper than that. He cares about you. He loves you. The beauty of the gospel is that you are fully known. All your depravity, all your brokenness, but yet in that you are fully loved. And the way that I know that Jesus understands us and that he endured and experienced everything is in Hebrews 4.15, which says this, For we do not have a high priest who is not able to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted and yet without sin. So this Christmas season, I, I don't know what it is that you need to know that Jesus is with you, that he's for you, that he understands you. But man, I hope that you invite him in. I hope that you invite him in in those times. So maybe maybe it's depression around this time of year. And I'm not talking about depression when you find out that they're building another roundabout on 10th and Wanamaker and you got a detour for the next year and a half or the highway is going to be 55 miles an hour. I'm talking about those times when you feel, when when Satan, who's trying to steal, kill, and destroy, says, Hey, God's not with you, and you feel isolated, you feel alone, you feel like the church doesn't show up, the church isn't with me, and Satan puts lies in your head. I hope in those times that you run to Jesus, that you invite him in, that you, that you run to his word, that you run to the church. Maybe for some of you within the holidays, within um, this time, it could be anxiety. It could be the fact of, man, I gotta make sure my kids finish school. I gotta make sure we show up to Christmas Eve service. Gotta make sure the whole house is set up. Make sure a Christmas letter is set up. And it goes on and on and on. And you're like, oh, man, I, I'm just, I'm overwhelmed. I'm anxious. I know for me, even this last week, you know, I was finishing up my seminary final and preparing for the sermon. And, you know, I had to know, okay, God, no, you're, you're with me. You're for me. You understand what I'm going through, even, even if it's, not even as intense as what other people are going through, but you're there. Father, give me the peace that surpasses all understanding. 
Or, or this summer, there were times where I was having symptoms where my chest was pounding, my neck was tight, and I'm analytical and kind of thinking, I'm like, okay, so if I have this symptom, like, what's going on? And it turned out I was just, I was having anxiety. I took on burdens, I took on problems, things that weren't mine to solve, things that weren't mine to take on. Because ultimately, God calls us to be ready, to be faithful, to love God, love others, but we have no control over the results. And I was taking on pressures of the results. And the good news is, God doesn't care about our results, he cares about our heart. And so this morning, you know, I don't, I don't know where, what it is for you, but my hope is, that we receive these truths and that as we receive these truths and God's works in our hearts, that it compels us to go and live the incarnation out. And so I want to share with you a little bit about what it's looked like in my life and my wife's life to live out the incarnation. And so I'll put up a picture to start with my story. And um, part of my story is I was able to start something called Doxazo, a Christian sports camp for guys um, over at my parents' house. Great. We had a lot of fun. But over time, God worked on my heart and our leadership team's heart to go to the least of these, to go to those that are fatherless, to go to those that do not know Jesus. And so God gave us the opportunity to take what we're doing and, and go over and move into Highcrest and put on a camp there at an abandoned building at the time, Avondale East, that used to be a school and got shut down. People didn't know what it was going to be, but God allowed us to move in there. And with that, this church... For their Christmas offering in December of 2012, that was, that was one of the pieces of their Christmas offering, helping fund and support this camp. So again, thank you, church, for showing up with that. But we had camp. It was great. We had no idea what was going to happen. We didn't know who was going to show up. We had to bring in all, all our supplies. But man, we built some really cool relationships. The gospel was proclaimed. Good things happened. But then the question was, what, what next? What next for myself personally? What next for what God is doing in Highcrest? Because it was very clear before this camp showed up, before anything happened, God was working in that community. Just like God is always working before we show up. And God works when we show up, and he's going to continue to work after we show up. And so after uh, graduating college, graduated from nursing school at KU Med, Decide, okay, do I want to work in the ICU at KU, or is God calling me to come and join the outreach team here at the church? Decided to take that, the job here at the church, and then it came, where am I going to move to? Didn't really want to move back with my parents, and I said, all right, God, like, where are you calling me to move into? So I ended up moving into the Highcrest neighborhood, and I'm going to show a picture of one of our Monday nights, uh, Monday night meals. I invite um, the different boys from around the neighborhood to come and have dinner with me. And this picture is going to look really nice. It's going to look like a serene moment where everyone made the meal together. We're about to have devotions around the table. But I guarantee there were many a meal uh, where it was like, all right, that's it. Everybody out. Uh, I see Richard Ramshaw over here. He was there one of those nights, and he was like, whew, how you doing? Okay, just going to show up again next week, see how it goes. And so through that, you know, mapped out rules, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, you see all the boys there having a meal and uh, able just to build life and share life with them. And a lot of fun. But then December 15th, 2013, after Christmas worship night here, got a call. And the call was, hey, Jeremy, you need to come see your house. Uh, police are on their way. It got broken into. What? What happened? Show up, door been broken through, all the drawers been looked through, Christmas tree was toppled over, all this type of thing. My fiance at the time, Paige, showed up 
And uh, there were tears that night. Not saying if it was her or I, but there were tears either way. And uh, we really had to talk through, okay, when we get married, where are we going to live? You know, as we go through life and God calls us to move in different places and in different relationships, there's a cost involved. It's nothing compared to the cost that Jesus did, but there's a cost that Jesus calls us to when we're obedient. And so we had to pray through that cost and we came back a week later and said, okay, what's God saying to you? What's God saying to you? And we both said, God's calling us to, to move in. But for a couple of conditions. One was that we actually moved uh, when we got married uh, three blocks south and uh, bought this house right here. Wonderful house. We love it. Uh, we filled out like a hundred pieces of paper, sold our lives away. You know, when you buy a house, many of you that have done that, you know what I'm talking about. But uh, we decided to, to move into the house. It was great. The other condition, though, this is a deal breaker, was we needed to have a dog. Paige said, Jeremy, when you're gone, you're traveling, different things, I need to have a dog so I can know that I'm safe and can protect us and uh, make sure things are okay here. I said, all right. So we got a dog. His name is Samson. And here's a picture of him right there. <laughs> so we ended up also getting a security system, just in case. <laughs> Uh, we, we love Samson. He's a, a miniature, miniature, long-haired red dachshund. Paige had one grown up and just couldn't get over it. So I was like, all right, let's do that. So we got our dog, Samson. But the, the, the exciting thing that has happened as we've been able to build relationships is just seeing transformed lives. And again, this story, this isn't about Paige and I and what we're doing. This is God's story. This is about what can happen when we show up. Because again, God was there way before we showed up, way before this church showed up. He's moving right now, and he's going to continue to move, just like he does in every other neighborhood, in every other family, in every other workplace. So on here, i uh, show you some pictures of some transformed lives. As a church, a couple of weeks ago, we were able to host a baptism service for 14 young ladies from Highcrest that, are, that have found Jesus and are following him and said, we want to get baptized. It was, it, honestly, it wasn't us saying, hey, we want to do a baptism service. Let's find some people to get baptized. It was these girls saying, when are we going to do this? And who's going to help us make this happen? So we said, okay, we'll be there. We'll, we'll help make this happen. And then on the right is Zayden, who is my lunch buddy. And the, the guy in Highcrest that I really get to do life with and disciple one-on-one. And he was baptized, um, I think it was a couple summers ago. And it's been cool seeing the transform, transformation in his life as well. And so as we wrap up, I, I want us to think about this question. Who is it in my life, in your life, that needs to know that God is with them? Because the, the reality is that when cr- we follow Christ's example, when we step into others' worlds to, so, to show up, to serve, and love, so, and a great starting place, it might be a family member. I know for me, if I was going to be vulnerable, I think the person I need to let know that God is with them, for them, understands them, is my grandpa. He's not a believer. He lives in Topeka and doesn't have many people that check up on him and visit him. And so I need to make that a priority. I need to be praying for him. I need to make time in my schedule to be available for that. And I need me to be obedient to go and do that. And so think about what, what does stepping into look like for you? And who is that person that needs to know that God is with them?
And I would just say this, that no place you or I show up to, no amount of sacrifice that we make will ever compare to how Jesus showed up and the sacrifice that Jesus made for each one of us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to gather together as the church. And Father, we thank you so much that that you aren't a distant God, that you are a God that is for us, that loves us so much that you gave your one and only son to come to earth, to move into the neighborhood, to, to suffer and to endure everything and more that we did so that we could have life. Father, we just thank you so much for your example. Father, I pray that we receive these truths today and and that it compels us to live them out. Father, put on our heart, put on our mind that person that needs to know that you are with them. Father, be working in that person's heart before we show up. Give us the words to say when we're in there. And Father, we leave the results up to you. I thank you for this church and their heart and their desire to proclaim the gospel. And I pray all this in your name. Amen.